Okay, so this series is called Vital Signs, as has already been said. We've talked about all kinds of indications of a healthy heart. Or to put it a different way, all kinds of things that we think should be a part of healthy Christianity. And so they both tell us how our heart's doing, and they're also things that we think would be wonderful if they were part of our Christian lifestyle, as it were. We talked about about what it is to live joyfully, to live generously, to live prayerfully. Last week we looked at what it is to live restfully. And so this week we're going to look at the vital sign that is work. The key vital sign, work, the workplace, our workspace, how we treat work, view work, do work, our attitude towards work, tells us an awful lot about our heart, about our spiritual hearts, about our, about our souls. What does healthy, gospel-shaped Christianity in the workplace look like? That's what we're going to do over these next uh, 30 minutes or so. And I'm going to start off by looking at two things. I want to open up by explaining what do we mean by work? because I think you'll find it's relevant to all of us, whatever our kind of workspace is at the moment. And then secondly, I want to look at how God sees your work. So two quick things. What do I mean by work, and how does God see your work? And then I'm going to hand over to Becca, who uh, is one of the the leaders here, and she's going to share something of her story, something of her testimony, as to how she has found the gospel has shaped her experiences within the workplace. And then I'll wrap up and help us to respond towards the end, and we can look forward to encountering God together as we respond. So I'd encourage you to be on the front foot and ready to do so. So what do we mean by the word work? Because... When I mention the word work, it's probably fairly easy to assume that we're talking about something that ends with a paycheck at the end of the month. That was certainly, I think, my initial assumption when I heard these kinds of words used. But as I've explored this, that's not what I think I want to mean by work. And more importantly, I'm not sure it's what God or the Bible means by work. It's not simply about something that ends with a salary at the end of it. If you think about it, for centuries, people have done work in all kinds of ways, for all kinds of reasons. In days of yore, people would uh, farm a field, would build a road, would make some food, would make some clothes, and none of it was about financial remuneration as such. Financial remuneration is not the essence of work. Andrew Wilson, who's a pastor and theologian and writer known to our family of churches and others, he has helped me with this talk, and he, I think, helpfully defines work like this. Any productive efforts that contribute to the common good. Any productive efforts that contribute to the common good. So that, therefore, applies to all of us this morning. Now, I'm told that the average person spends 12 years of their life in work. It's a lot of time to spend, which is why it's a key vital sign of how we're doing. But if we, if we assume that work is any productive effort that contributes to the common good, that encompasses all kinds of things at all kinds of seasons and stages of life. So it includes the parent who stopped paid work to be caring for their children. It includes the students or the pupils at exam time. It includes the retired person who's probably working harder than ever before with voluntary organizations and taking care of of grandchildren. Work is intended as something for all of us to engage in during our lives. Now, sometimes physical issues can make that really hard and really difficult and can restrict that, but the intention of God is for all of us to engage in work at some point in a part of our lives. Which leads me on to the second point. How does God see our work? How does God see our work? Work is 
is a deeply spiritual activity. I don't know whether that's how you see your work as a deeply spiritual activity, but I want to put it to you, that's how God sees your work, whatever it might be, paid or unpaid this morning. He has placed work into the rhythm of perfect, flourishing creation. So think about it. Before the fall, before sin and human brokenness entered into humanity and fractured and broke and distorted how we work sometimes, Work itself was in place prior to that as part of the perfect, flourishing creation. Prior to the fall, God himself worked creatively and excellently and diligently before resting, as we heard last week. And he's intended us as humans to reflect that same image, that same rhythm of work and rest to reflect him to those around us. Genesis 2. Chapter 15, if we can have the next slide, says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is in place before anything has broken and distorted uh, humanity. God sees work as a deeply spiritual activity. It's one of the things that he commissioned Adam and Eve to do. See, there's not a hierarchy of spirituality. I want you to hear that this morning, where we kind of have things like praying and prayer meetings and singing over here and then work over here. Like, clearly, I believe in the importance of praying and singing, and I want us to pray and sing together again this evening to invite God to all he's going to do. But there's no hierarchy of spiritual activity where work somehow is a very unspiritual thing that's just there somewhere away. I think that's how God sees it at all. He's put it in place within the heart and the rhythm of flourishing humanity. It's not the case either that what you do in the church is necessarily more spiritual than what you do in your workplace or workspace. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And the context of that passage is that Paul is specifically addressing parents and servants. Therefore, people who are not being paid for their work and people who are in some way being remunerated for their work. Whatever you do, he says, whatever work you have in front of you, it's for Jesus. It's deeply, deeply spiritual in that sense. So I was a some of you know I was a school teacher for, for nine years before I became a church pastor, and there are lots of differences in what I do now to um, what, I did, what I did then, but some things are very consistent. For me, my work was and remains partly about providing and, and using my skills usefully and making a living, but also about way more than that, much, much more than that. My work then and my work now were both, are both opportunities God to shape me a bit more into like Jesus. My work then and my work now are both opportunities for the good news of the gospel to be displayed and for God to extend his kingdom and glory to the world around me through the gifts and the energy and the time that he's given me. So the gospel is not just the good news that Jesus' death wipes our slate completely clean, though it is that and that's wonderful, but it's not only that. The gospel is also the news that his resurrection three days later means that life has come. Abundant, whole, full life. 
and that everything about the world from that moment on is bit by bit being remade and renewed and reconfigured and one day he'll return to complete that process. It's an incredible implication of the gospel that this earth will somehow be made perfect, renewed beautifully by the wonder of heaven. And work, we're told, just as it was in the Garden of Eden, will be present and perfect and will enjoy it in that new creation. It'll be there. People will be working, it seems, creatively and joyfully and excellently and imaginatively and humbly and kindly and thoughtfully and skillfully in all kinds of ways in the new creation. It'll be extraordinary. And the amazing thing now is that God doesn't say, okay, sit tight, hunker down, earn a crust somehow as you can, stick a roof over your head and wait for me to return and do that. It's not the heart or the implication of the gospel, the heart of God. God says, no, come and partner with me now. Come and join in with me now in this process now. Come and work in whatever your sphere is in such a way, empowered by me, that something of heaven comes to earth in your workspace now. That process is in place now. That within the workspace, as Jesus taught us to pray, God's kingdom will come and his will be done. We're not asked just to hunker down and wait. We're asked to partner with God and see what happens in the space in which you find yourself engaged in work at the moment. So, my essential premise is this. The premise of the Bible, I believe, is this. That for the Christian, whether work, whether it's paid or unpaid, is a deeply spiritual activity. Something God is excited about. You may not be. I don't know how excited you are about your workspace all, 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 all the time. But God certainly is. Now, what does that look like in practice? If that's something of the kind of underpinning theology, if you like, with which we're entering into, what does that look like in practice? Somebody once asked, uh, or a shoemaker once asked Martin Luther, who was the great church reformer of the 16th century, got hold of the gospel of grace so amazingly. Somebody once asked him, how, what, what's a Christian shoemaker like? Someone was saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a shoemaker, how do I do the two? And the inference being, how do I bring in kind of overtly spiritual things into my shoemaking? Praying and singing and writing hymns and so on. And Martin Luther, the great church reformer, said to this person, to be a Christian shoemaker means you make excellent shoes at an excellent price. And I think the person was expecting something more spiritual than that. But Luther had got hold of something that for the shoemaker to treat his uh, clients and customers well and honestly, with integrity, to do them good, to serve them, to have fairness and honesty at play, that was part of something of the kingdom of heaven coming into that space. He didn't say, do as little shoemaking as you can and then get home and start praying. Make excellent shoes at an excellent price and something of the kingdom of heaven will invade the space in which you work. But... We still want some more detail than that, don't we? That doesn't really give us enough detail and practicality about what it means for something in the kingdom of heaven to come into our workspace, which is where Becca comes in, uh, not just useful, but wonderfully apt at this point, because she's going to share something of her experiences as a nurse and something of her story. So, let's welcome Becca. I'm loud, I'm not that loud. <laughs> Hello. Um, so yeah, when I think of how my faith um, affects my 
working life, I feel more than a little bit uncomfortable. Because, in honesty, it's where my character flaws come out the greatest. So many hours in one place, stressful situations, working with so many different people. And um, I've actually worked in my job for 11 years. I'm a children's nurse. I work in intensive care. And I currently am a sister in that area, so it means I'm like a bit of a manager of a really big team, 160. And although I've kind of always had faith, my heart was truly transformed by the gospel about five years ago. So I've worked in the same place before and after. Um, And to be honest, although my heart had changed, visible change in me me at work has been very gradual. And um, it's been a real journey that God has taken me on. And in this, I've kind of identified four key areas that he's really challenged me on and encouraged me on that I hope will help you guys. So the first one is depending on God at work. Because in 11 years, you can just become pretty good at your job and you can get used to the day-to-day. And I just become very easily self-reliant. But the reality is that actually I work in an area where children are at their sickest. We have the sickest children in the whole southeast of England. Uh, Families are going through their most traumatic time. Staff are stressed and they're caring for people and they need care. It's kind of crazy that in this area I think I'm in control and um, I don't really depend on God as I could. And in the busyness of the day I just forget to pray and ask God for help. When I acknowledge ultimately I'm not in control, it's actually really freeing. And um, I also work in a really logical area. So we kind of like to make sense of things. And I believe that science and faith can live side by side. And I'm so thankful for what God has made known to man. But this then is a bit of a trip for me because it allows me to... uh, see what have what is known and seen to shape my theology and to limit my faith and limit my expectation of God especially in the area of God healing which we heard about this morning it does mean that I have to then be honest and real with God I have to process disappointment when what I see doesn't really match God's plan for humanity and also really give thanks to him when it does but I tend to just try and shut off my reliance to him at work because it means I can rely on what I can accomplish alone and it's easier but it does keep me stuck in a place that just God really uh, doesn't intend for me to be and limits what he can do through me. So I just recently I was challenged. These two mindsets collided. I had finished a night shift. It was um, a pretty rough night shift, actually, and one of our patients hadn't survived. And um, I was attending a course that specifically taught us about healing. And despite having teaching um, about healing, uh, I... I kind of was allowing what I had seen to limit my faith, and I didn't really have faith in that moment. And um, even though I was sat there pretty unengaged, God gave me a picture of an appendix scar, and he gave me a picture of really bad scarring. And I was uh, was really reluctant. I went to the front. I was like, yeah, here you go. Uh, I'm just going to share this. I really, really, really hoped that no one would stand up. Um, Unfortunately, someone did. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went to this lady, and I said she was pregnant. She had an appendix scar. It was causing her loads of pain. She was unable to move to look after her children. It was getting worse. And I said to her, I have no faith for this. If you pray for someone for healing... Don't start your prayer (laughs) with, I have no faith for this. Because I was allowing what I had seen to shape my expectation of God. And you know what? He totally healed her. I have no understanding how, but I realize that my understanding is not what shapes my faith. I just can't fix my eyes on what is seen alone, especially where I work. So I'm reminded in God's word in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, 
Paul talks about our affliction in life, that it's momentary. And he says, we look not to the things that are seen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I have to fix my focus on Revelation 21.4 that says, when Jesus returns, he will create a new heaven and earth. I have to know that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, that death will be no more, that there won't be any mourning or crying or pain anymore. In my job, I have to know that I can pray, God, your kingdom come. And I learn then to really depend on him. And also, actually, as I depend on him, I have to see him in the everyday. You might not be in an environment like me, but you know, every good thing comes from God. Um, James 1.17 says, do not be deceived for every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Just nothing in this world that is truly good um, has any other origin than from above. So when I'm thankful to God for the goodness in what seems like just the everyday, everyday in the people that I work with, the things that I see, it really shows me God's hand in all things and I depend on him more. The second area, that was the longest area, the second area that I tend to be challenged on is knowing my work is for God and not a distraction from God. Work just becomes kind of this add-on, a bit of a less spiritual part of life, like Philip said. And I just kind of hope I'll get through the shifts so I can get back to prayer and church and days off. I love days off. And um, I easily forget, this is weekly, actually this is daily, I forget, that in the plan of my life, God knows all the places he's intended me to be and all the people that I'll meet. And time at work is not separate from that plan. And when it becomes a distraction, personally, I become really task-focused. And if I'm purely task-driven, I stop seeing the people that I work with as people that God cares for. Um, I become very critical. It's very easy. But God calls me to encourage, to build up, to know that all people are made in his image. And I forget that God wants people to encounter him in, his, in my workplace as well as in my community. And he calls us to love others. Uh, I don't know about you. Maybe you get on with everybody you work with. But one day, I had a particularly challenging staff situation. I was walking to work, and I was like, God, this, this is so inconvenient. Do you know what? If you could just move them to work somewhere else, we'll be good, all right? And I felt like in that moment, uh, rather than say yes, which was quite disappointing, God said, but what if your job was to love them? And it just cut me right into the heart because I realized in that moment that if I stood before God and all along my job had actually been to love my team, I just hadn't done that job very well. Um, And since then, actually, I prayed back. I was like, well, you need to help me love them. And he did, actually. God has really stirred my heart for my team. I love my team. I'm so proud of them. I want to see them be all they can be. I offered to lead the area of staff support. And actually, I started to love people that I never thought I could love. So I just that was one of the things for me that I know that's part of the work that God has called me to do. Thirdly, Um, is recognizing the impact that we have. I think I've underestimated for a long time um, the impact that we have in our workplace. Last year, I worked my Christmas party. Our Christmas parties are brilliant. So working it, I was pretty hacked off. Um, I was walking in, and not only that, we were understaffed. I was going to be in charge. And I was like, oh. And I had a decision, because there were also 14 other people in the same position as me. Um, And because I was in charge, I had the influence over the shift. And I could show how, how annoying it was to be there, um, which I wanted to do. 
all, which is what I did, was I came in thanking them for being there. I honoured their commitment. I was encouraging. I was positive. That, and I said, you know, we're going to work together. It's going to be okay. And we set an atmosphere that really built each other up. And we actually served the patients with really glad and not resentful hearts. We actually had a really good time. And I realised that actually one person has such a huge impact. Matthew 5, 14, 16 is just what I cling to. is that you, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill just cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God just calls me to shine in all places, and I have to be mindful not to be shaped by the negative aspects of where I work, but if I begin, and if I begin separating faith from work, I allow the cultural sins like gossip and criticism and dishonor to sort of become what I shine or don't shine out. And I just think, you know, if me just simply living in the culture of God's kingdom, showing kindness, love, patience, compassion, forgiveness, generosity, justice, and integrity, if I do that to others, that leads them to give glory to my Father in heaven. That is an incredible outcome. Just need some water. For me, that specifically links to being mindful of words um, and also learning how to honour people, even when they don't honour you. Um, and also remaining on my guard that I don't find ways <laughs> for like my sins to be justified by others. Um, I remember being in a meeting where a doctor expressed a, uh, an opinion I disagreed with and I was tired, so I just kind of snapped at them in front of everyone. I didn't cover them in glory, didn't cover myself in glory. And straight away I was like, oh, that was definitely the wrong thing. But obviously I didn't want to admit that was the wrong thing. So I found lots of colleagues to agree with me that it was totally the right thing to do. And, um, and they did. They were like, yes, you were very, that was right. That was very, very right. And I felt quite happy. And then I realized actually it wasn't the right thing. And I, after a few days of battling with my pride, I'd apologize to the doctor, not actually about what I said, because part of my job is to challenge um, certain things, but wholeheartedly about the way that I had bought it. Because ultimately, God sets the standard of how I treat others and not my workplace. I recently worked with a man named Peter. I just have to fag him up because he was a Christian. He, I don't think I ever heard him speak of his faith. But I would describe him as a man of integrity, kindness, skill, professional. He was helpful. He was compassionate. And he served with such a servant heart, despite the fact he was the most senior person. And for me, through the last ooh, 11 years, his quiet, faithful work had more impact on me than he'd do if he'd ever shared the gospel and I think this is just the impact that someone can have when they walk with God. And finally, my biggest challenge is um, recognizing that rest in God is actually essential to my work. Um, I just become really busy. I've become busy to rest and worship and pray. I work shifts, so I grind through the week. And um, when I burn out, my fuse between thinking through what I do and losing patience just reduces dramatically. Um, I become really self-reliant. I become really weak. God loves me and he loves the world and I'm called to love my neighbor as myself and he's given me a job to do and as a manager sometimes it's not a popular one and often it doesn't mean not challenging other people or situations but how I do so has to look more like Jesus than Becca and doing it in my own strength is just no good it's only in spending time with God knowing his love for me growing in a relationship with him that enables me to do it I remember then that it's all from God for God and by God. And so once I put my faith in Jesus wholeheartedly, I actually believed for a while I was powerless to change how I was at work. Um, 
but there's a song actually in, in there's a line that says there'll be days I lose the battle but Grace says it doesn't matter because the cross already won the war and there are days <laughs> that I lose the battle but um, rather than focusing on my failures I have a choice to trust that God is challenging me and transforming me from the heart outward to look more like him for my good and for his glory so that others may know him and my work is significant part of what he has called me to do. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Becca. As a former teacher, I can't resist recapping. <laughs> Becca was saying, if you, I think if we took those four things away, we couldn't go too far wrong. If we were determined within our workspace to depend on God every day, whether we feel capable or not. If we were determined to see our work as something that's for him, as opposed to maybe distracting us from him. If we were not to underestimate the impact that the small things can have over a long period of time, and if we were to do our work from a position of resting in the love of God, that would be quite an exciting vision for King's Church going into their daily, day-to-day work. So thank you so much, Becca. Listen, there's lots of things that we haven't talked about. I'm really aware of that. So we haven't talked about the issue of your work being primarily parenting, for example. Haven't talked about the issue of being, being bored at work or, or, or not very good at work. Haven't talked about the issue of being out of work, or of how to handle ambition at work, or how to handle responsibility and pressure and position. So I want to recommend a resource to you if you want to kind of dig into this a bit more. I mentioned Andrew Wilson before. Um, his church, or his previous church, King, also called King's Church in Eastbourne, they did a similar series list in 2013, and he spent two Sundays on this topic of work, one of which he did in partnership with his wife, Rachel. So I would recommend you listen to those two sermons on the topic of work, and they're really, really helpful. And he and she, he and she, they get into some of this, these things that we haven't yet got time and have had time to get into. So it's, it's King's Church, Eastbourne, the series is called Vital Signs, and there are two uh, talks on the topic of work, and some of these things will come through from that, and it's really, really helpful, practical, gospel-based stuff. All of that said, um, no matter what our challenges are at work or our joys are at work, and I, don't, I know some of your contacts, I don't know all of them, I don't know how you feel about your workspace at the moment, but no matter, no matter what the challenges or the joys are, the bottom line for a Christian if you're a Christian this morning who wants to keep on exploring the gospel, is always to come back and ask, what has Jesus done, which is the gospel, what's he done that means that I can work effectively and fruitfully? I'd love us to have that more and more in our culture as a church. Whatever challenge we faced, we can always take it back to the gospel. What is it about the gospel that means this is possible? And Becca's fourth point, I think, is really helpful for this in terms of a gospel-centered approach to work is about resting in God, ultimately. That's the key point, I think, for us as we prepare to respond in these moments. Think about the gospel. I think it will help you specifically to engage in work from a position of rest and confidence and security. Because to be a Christian is to be able one day to stand in front of God, even now, to be able to stand in front of God and say, I am free from striving and stumbling and sinning. I'm free from that because I rest in the perfect, finished work of Jesus. The only one who's done his work perfectly to be a Christian is to say, I see his work and I rest in that work on my behalf. He's done it all. 
I want us just to prepare to respond by, by looking at him in these last few moments and looking at him specifically in this kind of gospel angle of work and rest. Look at Jesus. He was faithful and excellent in his work. As a carpenter, we're told that he grew in favor with God and man as he went faithfully about his work as a carpenter. And certainly he healed and he taught faithfully and excellently. Whether he was in obscurity or whether he was on the receiving end of adulation, he was never proud in his work. He took on the life of a slave as he went about his day-to-day work. He never pursued status or wealth but he used his enormous power to put others first every single day. Throughout his work, he listened to and obeyed the Father constantly. He never allowed his work to matter more than glorifying the Father through his work. See, when we explore and rest in the gospel, the good news of Jesus' perfect work on our behalf that has begun the renewal and restoration of this earth, And when we encounter the person of Jesus afresh and we look at the way he worked for us faithfully and excellently and creatively and with perseverance and courage in his work for us, when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and our skills are fanned into flame and we know his peace and patience and kindness and wisdom, when we explore the gospel, when we uh, encounter the person of Jesus and the extraordinary love that he had for us through his amazing finished work and we're empowered by the spirit that he left us, then we can engage in whatever our workspace is with peace and with patience and with kindness and with wisdom and with creativity and extend something of heaven into that space. Whatever, whether you're a high-powered chief exec in the city, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you're a teacher, a nurse in business, whether you're retired and you're voluntarily working for organizations and charities, whether you're looking after the grandparents, whether physical health is such a challenge that there's only one moment of work in the week. When you explore the gospel, when you encounter the person and the work and the love of Jesus for yourself, and when you receive afresh his spirit, then you can engage in that space. And God is so pleased to partner with you and extend something of his heavenly beauty into that space. So why don't we respond together? Why don't we uh, take steps to respond to God? Because I I would love us, if we were to walk out of this place today freshly equipped to take something of the beauty of heaven into our workspace, that would be amazing. Hospitals and schools and boardrooms and startup businesses and tough client calls on the phone and children, it all might taste something really stunning this week if We love this gospel. Explore this person of Jesus and receive afresh the Holy Spirit. So Ross and the band, would you come and help us to respond and to worship? And I'm just gonna just leave a few moments just of of quiet because I tend to talk quite a lot and it'd be good to have just some moments of quiet because you know what your workspace is. You know what your challenges are. You know what your joys are. You know what your ambitions are. You know what your regrets are, and so does God. And the joy of being Christian is that he is delighted to partner with you in those things. And if you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, the wonder of the gospel is Jesus has worked perfectly on your behalf. 
He says, I've done everything you need to know friendship and peace and love with God for the rest of your life. So wherever you're at this morning, just take a few moments. You can bow your head, you can close your eyes, you can keep them open, whatever works for you. And just respond to God in the quiet of your heart. Oh God, I, I, I pray for us as a, as a church, as a community, as a family. Uh, I thank you so much that you, in your perfect wisdom and design, have placed a rhythm of life into the core of humanity, work and rest, all done with you at the center. I thank you that as much as we have broken that so much, and in the instance of work, how we sometimes use it for our own gains or for selfish ambition or the way we treat people. God, there are so many times when we don't use work as you intended to cultivate good. But I thank you because of the finished, perfect, accomplished work of Jesus. This morning we can encounter him afresh. We can receive forgiveness afresh perhaps. We can receive fresh power and fresh vision. Thank you for the encouragement of Becca's story of how the gospel has shaped something into something increasingly beautiful. And I pray that over each and every one of us, that these 12 plus years that all of us will spend at least in a working environment of some sort would be used for the kingdom of God. That light and life in abundance would come. That we would flavor our workspaces for good and for the kingdom, that the gospel would be seen, that the love of God would be seen. We pray these things, Jesus, in your beautiful, victorious, wonderful name. Amen. Should we stand? Let's sing together, let's worship together. If you feel like God's stirring you to come and bring things, then we've already been benefiting from that this morning, so do so. And we'll take some time to respond and pray for each other towards the close. Let's worship. Thanks, Ross.